Greetings and welcome to the Animal Wellness Podcast, the official podcast of Animal Wellness Action. Hi, I'm your host, Joseph Grove. On this show, we talk about animals and the people who care about them and have the ability to improve their lives by influencing culture and supporting pro-animal laws and regulations. To stay up to date with all of our news and information, subscribe to this podcast, receive our free newsletters and more, visit animalwellnessaction.org. Uh, this is a special action-packed show. Uh, Marty Irby, the executive director of Animal Wellness Action and its chief lobbyist, is here to break a story from D.C. concerning new paradigm-shifting laws protecting horses. Uh, later in the podcast, we'll have part two of our interview with horse trainer to the queen, Monty Roberts who talks about how a brutal childhood helped create his lifelong dedication to horses and a gentle, loving interaction with all of God's creatures. First, though, we're going to go to Marty. Last night, Marty, when you and I were on the phone late planning this podcast, you described the developments you're going to share as some of the biggest of your career. What do our subscribers need to know? We have some really great, terrific breaking news that we're sharing with everyone today. The Prevent All Soaring Tactics Act that would end the soaring of Tennessee walking horses, which is the intentional infliction of pain to the horse's front feet by using mustard oil, croton oil, diesel fuel, and other chemicals, along with inserting sharp objects into the horse's hooves to get them to perform an exaggerated high step known as the big lick that's prized in Tennessee and Kentucky and other southeastern states, has been something that we've been working on for the past eight years. That measure finally passed the U.S. House last July uh, 2019 and had a vote of 333 to 96, where we had all the Democrats, 100 percent of the Democrats voting in support of it. And we had the majority of the Republicans voting in support of it. It was an overwhelming passage. And of course, they sent the bill over to the U.S. Senate. We've run into some obstacles that we knew we had in the Senate with U.S. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell along with the senators from Kentucky and Tennessee, Rand Paul, Marsha Blackburn, and Lamar Alexander. And they have a coalition of folks that have introduced alternative legislation, the Horse Protection Amendments Act, that does not address some of the things that the PAST Act does and goes in a little bit of a different direction on the inspection process with the Tennessee walking, racking, and spotted saddle horses that are the three breeds covered by this legislation and the three breeds that have been prone to soaring over the past 50 or 60 years. So with that stalemate that we've had and, and those members of Congress able to prevent the bill from moving forward, we have tried to maneuver and go a different route on numerous occasions. We had a regulation back in 2017 that we got done, the USDA did. It would have eliminated these large stacked shoes and ankle chains around horses' feet. That got rolled back when the Trump administration came in and was basically undone. We've also been working in the past year on appropriations to get $2 million in funding, which is double what was uh, the amount for this year to enforce the Horse Protection Act. And we've also been pursuing uh, some avenues at the Department of Justice for them to intervene. And while we're making progress, we still ultimately believe that passing a federal bill and getting it signed into law is the best answer. And after passage of the bill last year in the House, myself, Wayne Paselli, and a few others started talking with members of the walking horse industry, a former uh, leader in the industry, 
uh, at the Tennessee Walking Horse Breeders and Exhibitors Association, along with people from the Tennessee Walking Horse National Celebration. And we have for more than a year been going back and forth on how we could resolve this problem and have finally come to a conclusion and a revised pass act that has some changes that are made that will still eliminate the large stack shoes and also eliminate the ankle chains around the horse's feet, uh, but would still preserve a segment of the walking horse industry and allow them to have a much smaller shoe, similar to what the American Saddlebreds and Morgans and Arabians and some other breeds have. Um, but it would drastically eliminate storing. I have no doubt we've had some safeguards put in place that go beyond what the past act does. Uh, the legislation revised would also ban the possession of mustard oil, croton oil, and salicylic acid that are used in the soaring process ban the possession of devices such as alligator clips and zip ties that are utilized as distraction devices to make the horse not think about the pain in their feet, but think about pain elsewhere. So they pass inspection. And we also were able to secure the elimination of this terrible device called a tail brace, which is a metal stand. I would probably have to show you a picture of to describe, but they cut the tendons in the horse's tailbone where the, the tail will fold over in half over this metal brace, all to make it stand up and quote unquote, look pretty. That was something that's been around since the early 1900s and was actually on the first Tennessee walking horse, 1939 strolling gym, long before any pads and chains and action devices were ever in play 30 or 40 years later. So we basically are getting about 90% of the past act as it is. And some other things that we didn't have in the first place, the industry is actually getting a very stable secure and um, important inspection system that the past act did not address, but that their bill did address to make sure that there's certainty in inspections, that they're fair, that they're objective, they're science-based. And so that people know they're not going to get a horse turned away from the show that hasn't been soared. So we feel really good about things. The members of Congress, both veterinarians in the U S house, Ted Yoho from Florida and Kurt Schrader from Oregon, were instrumental in this as veterinarians working through, especially these topics related to inspections. And of course, we're also working with now the Tennessee and Kentucky members who we were formerly at odds with and brought in. So we're elated to be able to let folks know that we've come to a great, great revision on the past act that we believe will move through the Senate and Senator McConnell will allow a vote on and we would have to pass it again back through the House. The House, since it's been changed, would have to concur with the Senate. But that's not something that's very difficult. And we believe we'll have the House leadership on board with Majority Leader Steny Hoyer and Nancy Pelosi as well. So we're looking forward to getting this done after nearly a decade and getting it signed into law. And much of it and the progress we have made is because of Monty Roberts. And then one thing, um, you were talking about the, the chemicals. And I, I heard you say that possession of the chemicals is, you know, illegal under the terms of this law to be. What does the law say about actually using the chemicals? Is this part of the 10% maybe of things? I, I detected a little legislative squish maybe um, relative to the chemicals. Well, the original past act actually did not mention mustard oil, crotonol, or salicylic acid at all. It made the act of soaring. Well, the, the act of soaring is actually already illegal under the Horse Protection Act, but there are devices that are utilized that have kept loopholes in the law, basically, 
this goes further than the past that because the past that didn't mention those chemicals and truthfully i was not involved in the original drafting of the the past act wayne was involved very much along with some others at the humane society but these were just some things that we over the past seven or eight years as we've worked on this legislation thought needed to be added uh as time goes on and there's a there's a good bit of other little things like that but i think it's very important it actually goes further than the past act so marty um do you foresee maybe another trip to the Oval Office? You were in the Oval Office back when the federal anti-animal um, cruelty statute uh, or bill was signed into law. Uh, do you think you'll be asked back uh, for another signing ceremony? I think that could be a good possibility if the bill passes by unanimous consent as a standalone bill. If it ends up being attached to another bill, um, you know, those things have just monstrous amounts of legislation all included in one package, then we probably won't see that. But there's a good shot that we will. And, you know, I'm hoping that we are able to get this thing signed into law before the year ends. Um, It would take effect at the beginning of 2022 because it's going to take us all next year to basically set up a new organization that would oversee some of the enforcement within uh, the industry as far as giving fines, suspensions, and that sort of thing to people. So there's some technicalities and, and legal work that has to be done to form organizations and then be sort of quasi-governmental, if you will. All right, now we're going to pivot to part two of our interview with the legendary Monty Roberts. He is an American horse trainer who promotes his techniques of natural horsemanship through his join-up international organization named after the core concept of his training method. Robert believes that horses use a nonverbal language, which he terms equus, and that humans can use this language to communicate with horses. In order to promulgate his methods, Roberts has authored a number of books, including his original bestseller, The Man Who Listens to Horses, which has sold more than 6 million copies. He regularly tours with a live demonstration and runs an equestrian academy in Solvang, California, as well as an online university to promote his ideas. Experienced horse people, including his client, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, have called Monty Roberts' method incredible and enlisted his training talents. Two-time world's greatest horseman winner, Ron Rawls, uses Monty's methods and the foundation for his training work as well. Joining us in the interview was Wayne Paselli, the founder of Animal Wellness Action. Marty, tell us a little bit about what you were learning from Monty and how he figured into your evolution as a humane horseman. Yes, thank you, Joe, and and thank you, Monty, for being here with us today again. Um, You know, in 2005, I remember I was first elected to the board of directors of the Tennessee Walking Horse Breeders and Exhibitors Association some 15 years ago, and I had a full head of hair then, Joe. But um, (laughs) believe it or not, um, the very first thing I did when I was elected was I made a motion from the floor. I averted the normal committee processes and all these things they had. And I made a motion from the floor to add what they call a trail pleasure class to the national futurity. And that's the class where they have no big stack shoes. They have no ankle chains. It's just a small, probably one and a half pound, if that heavy shoe on the horse's foot. And I met great resistance from the, padded big lick performance horse trainers and many others that were in the room from Tennessee and Kentucky. But at the time uh, I was lucky and had a good day because most all of the members that were there 
were from the outlying areas like Montana and Oregon and Washington State and, and New York. And we won the vote and we got the trail pleasure division added to the national futurity. And the next year, after they saw that it was the biggest class at the horse show, I got it added to the Tennessee Walking Horse National Celebrations World Championship. And that was a huge, huge thing. This was a division for two and three year olds at the time. They had aged classes for this. And so in 2005, uh, I really had sort of my first, um, uh, my first experience in seeing that we really could change things. It's something I had always wanted to do and really recognize, but I still had this old sort of way I was brought up and mentality of thinking that these big padded up chained horses were, were what we were looking for. And, and that really made a difference and it couldn't have happened at a better time because in that same year, uh, my mentor, a man named William B. Johnson, who founded the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company and was a very visionary man, uh, owned the farm in Tennessee where I worked and ran all of the, the marketing and sales and breeding operation, Waterfall Farms, which was at the time the largest walking horse breeding farm in the world. It was just a fantastic place. And um, it's no longer even in operation anymore because the walking horse industry has gone down so far. But Monty, um, at the request of Mr. Johnson, came to Shelbyville, Tennessee, and met with us and spent a tremendous amount of time with us teaching us how to join up and teaching us about all of the different methods that he has utilized for years and really studying and learning about the communication with the horse. I mean, I was fascinated that Monty could predict what the horse would do before the horse even did it. And these were horses he'd never seen before that day and never spent a minute with until he was there in a round pen showing all of us. And, and he happened to actually be there um, the next year. We, we worked together for a period of several years um, uh, together on trying to end soaring and walking horses. But Monty was actually there the year that I won my only world grand championship in 2006 aboard the Lady of the Rips, which was a sound flat side trail pleasure horse without all of this mess on their feet. And I remember Monty and I talking and we've talked about it since that he knew back then I said, I'm going a different way with this. And, um, you know, I, little did I know things would turn out as they have and, and be so dramatic, but some 15 years later, here we are. And I am just so thankful that I met Monty Roberts because he's really played a major role in, in my own progression, but I would say it was a very key turning point uh, was that year of my life and, and meeting Monty Roberts. Yeah. And, and, you know, this is Monty speaking now, and um, it should be said that if it wasn't for Marty Irby, um, he he took he bit the bullet, man. He went straight forward and said, "This isn't right. I'm going to make a change," and that cost him dearly within his own personal life and so many of his friends and people that he had counted on before turned against him and yet he got stronger and stronger and is on the lead of something that my word i have to give all the credit in the world to for helping us understand that horses and other animals and all of us need to be living our lives in the absence of violence and marty irby is hugely responsible for that
Well, Marty, you're, you're so kind, Monty. I greatly appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, you deserve that. Well, we're going to have to start paying Marty more, Wayne. We well, need to up his paycheck. <laughs> no, no. I think let's let's treat Monty's comments as a valuable currency, and then we can reduce the monetary currency that Marty gets. <laughs> I think this is it's a it's a rich comment from Monty, but but really, let me just echo in some ways, you know, from my lane. I met Marty um, in 2012 when I, I had been CEO of the Humane Society, and uh, I had authorized an investigation of, of a barn owned by a, a guy named Jackie McConnell, and the investigator documented just horrid abuse of, of these horses, uh, burning the front uh, legs of the horse and, and uh, to the point where the horse couldn't get up and was moaning and it was just despicable and it put on the national radar screen the issue of horse soaring which Monty had known about, Marty had known about and Marty you know had already had a crisis of conscience being in that world and in that industry and when he jumped into you know from that world into the realm of animal advocacy it changed the debate on this issue because here you have a guy on the inside who knew where all the bodies are buried and where all the drugs are hidden and the chemicals are stored and he could say listen you know i was steeped in it i saw it it's terrible i can tell you from a first hand perspective and it's ruining the breed it's ruining the industry and get with the program. And you can have people like me and you, Joe, who are advocates of animals and hadn't had a big touch with this issue, but having Marty turn around and take all of the risks that he did and get all of the, the fury that was directed at him as an apostate within the Tennessee walking horse industry, you know, anyone who leaves a world like that and speaks against it, really exposes himself or herself to incredible invective and risk. And, you know, Marty, as Monty said, just trudged forward. And it's been eight years of battling to pass the Prevent All Soaring Tactics Act. And it's time to get this passed. And uh, I think that this is a big moment. And, and uh, Monty and, and Marty deserve so much credit for getting us here. I could not have dreamed prior to meeting Queen Elizabeth II, I could not have dreamed of this going this uh, far out into the industry. Um, I was struggling, man, and uh, Her Majesty's influence has made a big difference, and it's helped all of us right down the line, and uh, she, should, um, she should be given a lot of credit for this because her influence has really changed it. When Prince Charles ascends to the throne, do you suspect royal advocacy will continue to support you as you go across the world? I, I'm not sure about that. And Her Majesty doesn't, doesn't encourage me to get into the family that much, but at 85, I don't suppose I'm going to have much time to do anything about it anyway. And she's never going to die, so um, we're, we're all right. Uh, Prince Charles probably won't be a factor. <laughs> Marty, what else do you want to talk about um, in this segment? Well, I think um, just, you know, reiterating that we have come to uh, an amended version of the PAST Act uh, that gets us about 90% of what we wanted in the original PAST Act. 
Um, it also goes as far as eliminating what um, we call a tail brace uh, in the walking, racking, and spotted saddle horse breed. It's a device that is, is almost like a metal stand that, for whatever reason, long before pads and chains existed, at the first World Grand Championship in 1939, a horse named Strolling Jim had had his tailbone, uh, the ligaments and muscles in his tail cut where the tailbone folded over in half and the horse had to live in this terribly horrible, painful thing called a tail set 24-7 after having his ligaments cut. And, and then when he went to a horse show, have the tail placed over this metal brace and tied down really, really tight at the end with a shoestring. Why anyone ever thought that was a good idea or looked good, I'll never know, but it existed long before the pads and chains, and we're not only getting rid of all of the chains and action devices and the majority of the pads, but we're also getting rid of this tail brace that the PAST Act didn't even address. So I stress that to say, in my mind, that's the biggest thing. Uh, we're also getting a specific ban on the possession of mustard oil, crotonol, salicylic acid, and other chemicals that are utilized in the sewing process, along with zip ties and alligator clips that are items that are utilized to distract the horse and create pain elsewhere in the horse while the inspector's checking their feet um, to take away, take their mind off of the pain in their feet. So, you know, something that I think is difficult for me to explain is this thing, the tail brace. And Wayne and I have been explaining it to members of Congress over the past two or three weeks or longer. But I'd, I'd love to hear what Monty has to say about the tail brace because I know it's something that goes far beyond just the walking horse. And uh, he probably can explain it uh, better from the horse's view than anyone. Well, uh, I can say that you explained it pretty darn well. But can you imagine a species on, walking around on the face of this earth that calls themselves the most intelligent species ever to think, oh, we'll just go ahead and cut the ligaments in this horse's tail. And then we will break those segments, those spinal segments apart and fold it up over his back and put it on a metal U-shaped uh, brace and tape it so that the horse can't straighten his tail out. And then he'll look pretty going over the ground with his tail stuck up in the air and then hanging down behind him. Who in the world could think of things to do like that? And when you talk about croton oil and mustard oil and, and those things to cause the horse to be so sore, that he flicks his legs in the air. What species could come up with things like that? The pain that those horses go through is absolutely unexplainable. And yet, we did it. As a species, I certainly didn't, but as a species, we did it. And I watched crowds sit there and exclaim how beautiful these horses are going, going through that. If they only knew what that horse went through to provide them that entertainment, it, it's, it's just not to be believed. And yet, you know, in Louisville last night, you saw things happen that this species is still at it. 
And somebody has to step up and say, we've got to stop causing violence to be an answer to our problems. Violence is never the answer. It's only for the violator. And I don't know what we have to do, but those of us on this line right now just have to keep working because we are one of few who are taking the opportunity to try to get people to understand that animals don't deserve this this violence and other people don't, and particularly children who have no uh, ability to fight it off. Um, my first broken bones were in place uh, at age four. And a doctor knew that I was being beaten by a father. He knew that those bones were broken. I know that now because I went to universities and learned how children that are violated, it's like a fingerprint. You can see it immediately. And they knew it. And these doctors taught my grandmother how to put a cast on because they didn't want to be involved in putting a cast on and have to make uh, reports about it. So I've been through and have seen the worst of humanity. I really have. And we can be better than that. And somebody like Marty Irby is out there with great problems in his own life because of his decisions, trying to get us to see it straight. And I'm certainly working on it, and so is Queen Elizabeth II. But imagine this species claiming to be intelligent and doing things like this. It's, it's just not to be believed. You know, it's very easy to demonize the people involved in doing this. And I certainly have thrown a lot of criticism at people involved in horse soaring in the last eight years that I've been working on this issue. I mean, I had not been aware of the problem until, you know, I really had a firsthand view of the situation. And I was, you know, how could people do this? This is unconscionable. You know, clearly they can be involved in showing horses without doing this to these poor Tennessee walking horses. But, you know, people get steeped in their world. It becomes an echo chamber in their, in their community. They then uh, stigmatize the people criticizing them and think of them as other and uninformed. And, you know, we went into this discussion, Marty and I, with folks whom he had known. I hadn't really known these folks, but Marty had. And we spoke to them with respect. Uh, we began to understand that they, too, uh, want to find a way out of this and that they know that the future of their business is tied to their improved treatment of horses. And this is going back to Monty's comment that we've got to, we've got to have discussion. We've got to solve these problems. And, you know, when Marty says, and I say that we think we got 90% of the past act, you know, someone might say, well, you just, you, you, you did better than they did in the compromise. No, the folks who were representing the industry understood that they had to change. They are now embracing these reforms. And they had you know, issues that they raised with us where they said, well, this is not fair. And we listened to them and we heard them. But overall, this is a win-win. It's good for horses. It's good for the animal welfare movement to, to get this gain, if it indeed does get enacted as a 
new federal statute, and it's good for the industry. And my God, are they going to feel better about themselves when they're treating these horses with the dignity and mercy that they deserve. Yeah, right. Um, oh, you know. Wayne, uh, this is Marty speaking. And, you know, I really congratulate you for that attitude because it isn't right to say, you quit hitting me or I'm going to hit you. Um, it isn't right to demonize. There's no question about that. You can wonder about it, and, but we are human beings. It is our species, and we have to show them that it's wrong. We can't demand from them that they make changes. We have to show them that it, it's better uh, without these, these awful techniques. And you're absolutely right. Don't, don't hit back. Show them, help them, and respect them. Uh, I want to thank our listeners really very much for tuning into this. Uh, some of the things we've talked about are hard to hear about, and um, they're also hard to fight. And your support of Animal Wellness Action, you can support us by going to animalwellnessaction.org, uh, means all the difference in the world. Every engine needs fuel. Uh, every storm needs wind and, and water uh, to make it work. Uh, and, and you, our listeners, are, are part of that. So, again, I'll invite you to go to, go to animalwellnessaction.org. Uh, also, when you're there, you can uh, find our links to Facebook, Twitter. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or Spotify. Uh, we've been joined today by Wayne and Marty, Wayne Paselli, Marty Irby, and Monty Roberts. Thank you, gentlemen. And uh, we will be back soon with another episode of the Animal Wellness Podcast. <laughs>